and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Saturday, June the 3rd, 2023. Uh, welcome to Keenon. A couple of weeks ago, we had the distinguished movie critic Ty Burr on the show talking about Hitchcock's great movie Vertigo, which many people, perhaps including myself, consider the greatest movie of all time. But Burr didn't agree, he didn't even make Vertigo one of Hitchcock's best films. For him, the greatest movie of all time, at least in his mind, his favorite movie is Godfather One. And we talked a little bit about it. We talked about it as a film about America. It began, of course, in this remarkable scene in which someone says to Marlon Brando, I believe in America. And you have this juxtaposition of the authority of the mafia represented by Marlon Brando. Um, and the authority of the state, which never appears. It also manifests itself in Godfather II um, and the history, again, I believe in America, of a young man who comes from Sicily to America and makes something of himself. And indeed, in Godfather II, uh, the young Vito Corleone, played brilliantly by Robert De Niro, appears a much more sensitive, decent figure than uh, probably facts are uh, represented. Um, my guest today hasn't written a book about The Godfather, but it might be in a way, it's the other side of The Godfather, the, the side of The Godfather that we don't see, the side of the police. Paul Moses is a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist and academic, and he has a new book out, the Italian Squad, the true story of the immigrant crops, cops who fought the rise of the mafia of, of course, figures, at least like the, the fictionalized Vito Corleone. Uh, Paul is joining us from Brooklyn today. Paul, um, how does uh, the reading of the Italian Squad and the story of the Italian Squad, how should it force us to rethink perhaps the Godfather and how we think about the Godfather? Well, for, I guess you could say it's kind of a prequel um, to what happens in The Godfather. Uh, we're seeing a group of um, what at the time were very disorganized gangs that all operated under a sort of logo, uh, the Black Hand. Uh, and, and that's what's happening in the period I'm writing about from 1904. Right, and there's even, uh, we have the Black Hand, which I think that the... The Black Hand were also behind, but this was the, the Bosnian arm of the Black Hand. There wasn't a formal organization, of course, for the causes of the First World War. So the Black Hand were disorganized gangsters of one kind or another who went around like Vito Corleone, terrorizing innocent people. Is that fair? I, yes, I think that, that Shaking is Shaking them down, forcing them to store owners and families to pay something to guarantee their security, acting as the police, as the state. Uh, as they got more organized, yes. Um, but early on, uh, uh, during this period when the Italian squad was operating, um, these were these were different bands of thugs, I guess you could call them. And Black Hand, there was no big Black Hand. There, there. But what happened was somebody came up with the idea of sending out an extortion letter signed by the the Black Hand, and. 
the newspapers blew that up tremendously. Um, and so then every other crook who wanted to shake down somebody for money in the Italian community realized, well, I can say I'm the black hand too. So um, to the general public, the newspapers and so forth, it seemed like there was this one giant organization rooted in, in, Italy, in, in either Sicily or Naples. And uh, that wasn't the case at the time. But there was a mafia that, that did grow up with connections to the old mafia in Sicily. Um, and that, that sort of traces through my book. Right. So, so um, I think we're probably running ahead of ourselves. I've jumped ahead, uh, Paul. Mm -hmm. your, your book is not about the mafia. It's about the police. And it, was, it all began with a man called Joseph Petrosino, who um, some people suggest was the Italian Sherlock Holmes. Tell me about Petrosino and how he triggers your Italian squad. Right. Well, he was an immigrant himself. Um, uh, and uh, um, as a young man catches the interest of a, of a police inspector who sees some potential in him and he he winds up joining the force. And, and then after quite a few years in the force, he catches the uh, eye of, of Teddy Roosevelt, who was the police commissioner in the mid uh, 1890s. And, and Roosevelt promotes him to um, detective. And at that time, the police department really doesn't understand the Italian community, which is growing usually every year. Um, and maybe it's not even all that interested in in fighting crimes that occur only among Italian immigrants. So Petrosino winds up picking up the ball uh, on a lot of cases, becomes quite famous. And then in uh, 1903, this phenomenon of the, of the so-called black hand emerges. The newspapers are beating up mercilessly on the, on the police commissioner for not stopping it. And finally, the solution comes up in, in response to demands from the Italian community to create a special squad of Italian detectives called the Italian squad and Joseph Petrosino heads it. Uh, jumping ahead five years, um, Joseph Petrosino goes on a supposedly secret mission to Sicily. So it's a kind of reverse again, it, it's in parallel with the, the, the fictional narrative in, in Godfather, but rather than the, the young kid coming to America, it's the American policeman going to Sicily. That's right. Only probably followed by enemies he made in New York and, and being more vulnerable uh, in, in Sicily. He, he's murdered in Palermo in 1909. Um, Sounds like the, the script for a great movie. Um, well, there is that movie, Pay or Die, with Ernest Borgnine. Right, right. Yeah. I know. So, <laughs> and um, was this a wise thing to do? I mean, does this reflect the times, the anarchy, the fact that a a fairly powerful uh, New, New York policeman could show up in Sicily and would be murdered in daylight? It, it reflects very bad police administration. Um, first of all, they sent him over alone. Uh, secondly, the police commissioner who was having his kind of standard political battles within City Hall blabs to the press about the mission, which is supposed to be secret. So there, there are there are a lot of problems with this with this admission. And and thirdly, Petrosino was being sent on what was really a diplomatic mission. He wants to forge ties with the Italian authorities. He wants to get 
uh, important documents that will enable him to deport people who came to this country with criminal records in Italy, because uh, he felt those small number of, of people who were in New York were largely responsible for the for the crimes. Um, Paul, you've you've written extensively on the Italian community. Uh, your previous book, An Unlikely Union, the love-hate story of New York's Irish and Italians. How self-consciously Italian-American were people like Petrosino? I mean, the, he and the other police in the Italian squad very much wanted to assimilate as, as Americans, I would say. But they were very conscious of their own people. And Petrosino tried, and the others who followed him, tried very hard to persuade uh, reporters they were talked to that Italians were not all bad. There's just a, a small number. And they just came here because they want to work hard. So, so the old, uh, I mean, that narrative gets played out time and time again with the Irish, with uh, Hispanics, with Jews, with, uh, I mean, African-Americans have a different narrative. But it, it's not unusual, is it? That's that's correct. And that's kind of part of what makes the story interesting is you can kind of go back and think later about how. Right. It was so, so we get so, so this guy shows up in in in, um, in Sicily, Joseph Petrosino had been appointed by T.R. Teddy Roosevelt. He's assassinated by thugs of one kind, probably somehow connected with the black hand. And then what? This is the, the background to uh, to to uh, the Italian squad, isn't it? Yes, it is. Uh, so I actually start the book with Joseph Petrosino's assassination, partly because his story has been told in many other places over the years. So I wanted to focus on some, the more fresh material, which is what happens after him. In some ways, it's, it's very interesting because those men who take over the squad are following in the footsteps of somebody who was murdered. So the, the, the danger is even clearer than it ever was before. Um, and Petrosino's legacy kind of hangs over the squad for the rest of its uh, And I'm guessing that there was a degree of ambivalence amongst, Af uh, uh, amongst Italian-American community and police about defining themselves as an Italian squad, given the reputation of the mafia and given the way in which Italians were uh, vilified by some in the mainstream media. This is true, and... and some of the same people who called for the creation of the squad after a few years start asking, why is there just an Italian squad? Many nationalities here in New York have gangs. Um, and they were right about that. Um, and so there, there starts to be some pushback politically um, against having a, a, a squad of, called the Italian squad. And uh, the, 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 the detectives themselves, I think the, the community pro or con, they, they, they were proud of, of them and their work. But um, yes, you're, you're absolutely right. That, that began to become an issue. You know, when you watch The Godfather, there's a complete absence of the police. Um, but on the other hand, we've done shows which reveal, for example, with Adam Hothchild, who has a wonderful book, American Midnight, about the imposition of martial law after the First World War. Tell us about the role of the police in the period you're writing about? How ubiquitous were they or how peripheral were they? Did they actually have an impact and how can they can be compared with the police today, Paul? Yeah. No, policing was a major issue uh, at the time, just as it is today. The reform movement was more concerned about corruption, but there was a mayor I wrote about, 
named Gaynor, who ran on stopping police brutality and, and won the election. So people were concerned about these issues back then also. Um, were they honest, the police, or were they themselves uh, corrupted by organizations like the Black Hand? I found that the, the, Ita the, the Italian squad detectives were by and large uh, honest, uh, certainly more so than the overall detective. That doesn't sound very convincing, by and large. I mean, here we have an image of some of them. When you say by and large, were some of them not honest? Uh, there, there was one who, uh, after he left the force, went to prison for perjury, uh, for lying about setting somebody up uh, falsely. Um, in a, in a marital dispute, you know, so that, that, and there, there was one uh, informant uh, in the teens. This is after Petrosino who claimed that um, some of the uh, officers were on the take. Um, and which I, wouldn't be exactly surprising. I mean, no, okay. no. Um, but um, so, so there are whatever incidents there are, I, I, I treat in the book. So that's why I hedge a little bit and say by and large, um, the subtitle uh, of the book, Paul, is the true story of the immigrant cops who fought the rise of the mafia. Uh, but it's also a book um, uh, about uh, not just the mafia, but crime more broadly um, and uh, other kind of thuggishness. What else did they do, these, this Italian squad that was so uh, noteworthy? Well, for example, um, there was a, a head of the squad named Charles Correo, who became a lieutenant. Uh, he was the uh, first Medal of Honor winner of the police department. That's their, their highest award. He was the first to receive it. Yep. And he... Um, In 1922. No. Uh, he, 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 won, he won it earlier, around 1912 or 13, 11. Right. Or something. I forget the exact year. He, he actually... He's also had, a uh, hero. He... Uh, yeah. saved uh he stamped out a bomb right yes he he defused it and then arrested the uh the suspect so um so that and other similar things won him the medal of honor um so he was he was an important officer um but yeah there there was a a, a real it's a terrible wave of bombings um and sometimes these bombers would set off a bomb and you know at night in a crowded tenement things like that and um, yeah, I mean, they fought the mafia, anarchists and bigotry. But some people would say that the anarchists themselves were picked on by the police. And of course, oh, yeah. in the America after the first, during and after the First World War, the anarchists themselves, their narrative is enormously controversial. Oh, yeah. And um, with the anarchists, they didn't they really were so focused on black hand crimes. They did not do that much. Uh, dealing with anarchists, but towards the end, you you mentioned the the fellow who wrote the book on the period after World War One. Towards the end, they were pressed into service on these big sweeps of you know arrest everybody in sight who's a radical, things like that. Yeah, it also comes to the the story of um, Calvin Coolidge, of course, who ran the police department in Boston, which went on strike. How politically? Um, complicated was the New York Police Department. How did they feel, for example, about the police strike in Boston? You know, it didn't enter into my research, uh, so I, 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 uh, I don't recall any labor problems with the police like that in New York. Um, there were plenty of other issues, but I would say, in general, 
one of the things that made an impression on me in researching the book was how much their policing depended on the political world around them, what they could do and what they couldn't do. And I think that these uh, detectives were very aware of that also. Um, some administrations, they were relatively free to pursue things and others, you know, they were always, you know, had to worry about the, you know, going after, pol you know, politically connected people. You, you mentioned like uh, Corral and a couple mm -hmm. of the other... Uh, Anthony Vakris. And then there was a woman, uh, first uh, NYPD patrol woman of, or of Italian origin, Ray Nicoletti. How much did they play on their Italianness when they were on the street? I would say quite a bit. Uh, you, you showed, um, there was another one, for example, he named, uh, Michael Fiaschetti. He was the one who brought Ray Nicoletti in to, uh, to work on a big kidnapping case. Their, their deal was that they understood the community. They knew how to talk to people. They knew what motivated people. Um, and, and so, yes, being Italian was kind of the key to their, their success in understanding the Italian community as detectives. That, that's, that was their reason for being. Uh, the, the bulk of the police department was really isolated from, uh, from the Italian community. There were a few non-Italian non officers who learned Italian and, and were on the squad too, but, but not too many. Paul, then the police in America, of course, enormously controversial, uh, the, uh, particularly in the, in the context of Black Lives Matter. Uh, a lot of people don't trust the New York police for their absence or the supposed absence of diversity, lots of masses amounts of controversy. I don't need to tell you since then. Does this model, the Italian squad that you offer in your, in your new book, does it point to ways in which the police in the 2020s could be reformed? Or is it really a form of nostalgia that can't be recreated uh, more than 100 years later? I mean, there's different ways to look at it. Um, there is a need for um, for squads that gather, do long term investigations, and 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 have a deep knowledge of difficult to reach crimes. That so that they're kind of the the grandfather of all the uh, organized crime squads and terrorism squads and and so forth. Um, to me, the big thing that their story points to is just the importance of having good police community relations. And that, that's still an issue. Um, the NYPD actually is, is fairly diverse right now, which is not to say that they have good police community relations, but- Yeah, we've done um, some shows on yeah. the NYPD, actually, yeah. suggesting that, it's, that it has issues itself of corruption. I, I think as, at a certain point in the Italian squad story, the one I was just mentioning about uh, the Palmer raid period, the Red Scare period, where there was a federal law enforcement official who was brought in to head the detective bureau. And the federal approach was much less personal. It's a flood the zone with lots of officers, make, make lots of arrests all over the place. And I, I think that's where the NYPD today still has run into trouble. I think where you have officers on the ground who know the community, know who the suspect people are and who are not. And I think that gives the police department a, a better shot at, at enforcing the law fairly. Um, but the, the large task force <laughs> approach, I, I think, is, is what's behind a lot of the controversies over um, 
profiling and things like that. Paul, you, you mentioned on the street that one of the major differences between now and then was, of course, um, the fact that the, the police you write about in the Italian squad would have walked the street. Um, did that make the model and their experience, and their ability to integrate and be trusted within the community, did that make it easier than today when any police you ever see seems to be in a car, occasionally on a bicycle? You know, they... They were certainly uh, using up the shoe leather, but they they were they were not like visible. They they didn't want it to be that that visible because they were detectives. Uh, they wanted to actually pass, but they did work the street in the sense that they they knew the people, they knew the the, the shop owners, and maybe if those shop owners were being shaken down, they they might talk to one of the Italian squad detectives, um, and. And I think that's that's the key. Uh, we have some of that policing now, but but um, I wouldn't say it's been embraced. Some places do that more community oriented policing. Some places just say, "Oh, it's social work," but I don't, I don't think it is. I think it's just good law enforcement to communicate with uh, with people. Um, uh, as for today, I don't know. Uh, they, they they patrol in all different ways. I still see officers walking around, or sometimes bicycles, and uh, and yeah, and but. Uh, plenty more in cars and, and just kind of responding to emergencies. Paul, as I said, you're, um, you won the Pulitzer Prize, a lead writer on the Newsday team. Um, so you're a, a career journalist. Um, and, and you've talked about writing and journalism in the context of, uh, of the new book. How was the Italian squad represented in the media and what does your book tell us this italian squad about the role of the media and journalism in representing the police fairly yeah the same uh disputes that go on now between police commissioners and and the reporters who cover them they were just as bad back then if not even even more intense um so it's kind of funny for me as a reporter to to see that i guess but um the Italian squad detectives, being Italian, they were somewhat marginalized in the police department, but they had very good connections with the press. That was a sort of source of a lot of their influence, actually. The, uh, the press liked them. Uh, but there was a romantic quality to them, to this story. Yeah, and, they, and, and that, that really comes, comes through in the coverage. And if anything, they, the press would exaggerate their achievements but I think to the, the end of that was to make the Italians look all the worse, the Italian criminals, right? Mm. Um, well, uh, did, were, were prominent Italians, businessmen, politicians, did they recognize that there were these two visions of, of Italians in America, which is, of course, representing the Godfather on the one hand, those who wanted to believe in an America of a state and law, and then the America of Vito Corleone? I I think um, I, I that, that that's that's hard to say. I I think the bulk of Italian immigrants, you know, just wanted to work hard and 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 make a living. Um, I I don't I don't know that the that the gangsters are really uh, uh, romanticizing the newspapers. Uh, that's where that that happened uh, and uh, your Italian community leaders were very eager to show the public at large that Ital Italians are not 
criminals that we are we're here to be Americans that so I would say that whether they were for the Italian squad or against it that all the community that that's the direction all the community leaders were going in was it a formal name I mean did they was there a group within the NYPD called the Italian squad there was you'll see it in their official reports sometimes they call it the Italian branch of the detective bureau but those two those terms are used all the time uh, it, that's your book, you could have called it the Italian job, but of course that's been taken, Paul. Yeah. Finally, uh, you've written also, you, you do a lot of other writing. You've written about Donald Trump, uh, mm-hmm. certainly not the member of a black hand or an Italian mafia, but has a, a mafia quality about him, it seems. Uh, I, I know you're not a big fan. Um, how important is this story, the Italian squad, of the role of the police? and law and order, honest law and order, uh, visibility, and all the rest of it. How, how important is it in the America of the 2020s to remind people that we can trust the state in an America where nobody seems to trust anyone anymore, particularly the state, and, and trust in all these major institutions is in crisis? What I hear in your question is, is, is a very important point. Um, the battle to fight crime in, in the Italian community was always a matter of gaining the trust of the Italian community. And, and without that, the police were, were pretty much helpless. And then the Italian community would be plagued by, by more crime and the reputation of the community would, would be affected negatively too. So, I mean, I think this is a battle that is played out again. You know, the FBI at a certain point realized it needed to uh, try to gain trust in the, in the Muslim community, Arab communities, for example. Um, so that, that doesn't end. Um, and you're right. There is a general distrust of authority and it has a cost. You're, you're, you're absolutely right to raise that. And of course, in terms of trust, the people who can most reestablish it are writers and journalists like yourself. Is that fair? It, and the I press. Think... And, and some people argue that one of the reasons why we have this crisis of trust is the decline in local media. I think that's true. And, and, you know, I'm sort of old school reporter. I, I, I think, you know, you try to just explain what happened, what really happened and, uh, you know, let the readers decide a little bit more about what it means to them. Um, so that I, I think we need that kind of reporting, but, you know, as I said, I'm a little, I'm old school. <laughs> 